Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of our service, today we begin the season of Advent. Advent is a time of preparation and of waiting. It's what the church calls a penitential season, when we prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and show us where our lives are not in line with the life and teachings of Jesus. And that way, we actually celebrate his first coming and prepare for his second. Now, by comparison to the beautiful lights and displays and the excitement of Christmas, Advent can seem a little serious, a little bit of a a drag or drab like an early winter Lent. That's why so many of us, at least in our minds, tend to skip Advent altogether and jump right to Christmas. That's too bad. Because while Advent is a time of reflection and repentance, it is also a season of anticipation, of excitement, and of joy. And to see that this Advent, we're going to walk through the songs of the Incarnation from the Gospel of Luke. These songs or poems focus on a different aspect of Christ's coming, what it means and, and how we should think about it. And we begin our series with the song of someone who had a unique perspective on the coming of Jesus, the Blessed Virgin Mary, mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. From her beautiful response to her relative Elizabeth, we see something of the unbridled joy of meeting Jesus. So today we'll spend some time finding this joy in our passage and then asking three important questions. What robs us of our joy? Why can we have joy? And finally, how do we receive joy? We pick up the story with Mary having been told by the angel that she would bear God's son. And then she runs off to her relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant with a very special child. Elizabeth is carrying the son who we know now as John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. And it is safe to say that Mary and Elizabeth's meeting is a joyous one. Upon hearing the greeting from Mary, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and bursts out in joy. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The joy is so palpable that we are told that the baby, John, leaps for joy inside her womb. And then Mary responds to Elizabeth's salutation with, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It is a picture of unbridled joy. The first thing we want to take away is that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the result is joy. 
Joy is found in our passage because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's God's gift to all those who believe in Jesus. When we have the Holy Spirit, we are meant to be filled with joy. Now, let's be clear on something. That does not mean that Christians are going to be happy, clappy, sunshine beaming out of us all the time. No. (laughs) As much as we may want that, uh, that is not the case. It means that Christians have a foundation of joy, permanent, undescribable joy in their lives because they have the Holy Spirit. And the reason the Holy Spirit gives us that joy is because he helps us to recognize Jesus. And in recognizing him, what he has done, who he is, we receive joy. Take a look at Elizabeth. Her eyes are open to who has walked into the room and what this means. And she has a joyous outburst. The baby John, still in the womb, is given the gift of knowing Jesus and he leaps with joy. The joy comes by the Holy Spirit opening their eyes to who this is. I love the quote from one of the church fathers named Maximus. He wrote, Not yet born, already John prophesies, and while still in the enclosure of his mother's womb, confesses the coming of Christ with movements of joy. And he does this because of the witness of the Holy Spirit. John recognizes who it is that Mary carries in her womb. It's Jesus. The Lord himself has come. If we had any doubt of that, John's mother Elizabeth clears it up for us. She makes it abundantly clear. In verse 43, she says, Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Already she recognizes the truth that Jesus is Lord. He is not yet born, and yet he is still Lord. I will resist the temptation, at least this Sunday, not to comment on what this means about life and when it begins, and rather focus on the truth That the Holy Spirit is given us to open our eyes to the truth of Jesus. To the truth that from before his birth and for all time, he is the Lord and Savior. And that truth should bring us the same level of joy that it did for Elizabeth and Mary and John. Now to me, that seems like a helpful place to start Advent. A season of reflection and repentance. I think it's helpful to remember that Jesus came to bring us joy. And that if we know Jesus, we can rejoice at his first coming. And even more so, we can joyfully anticipate his second coming, his second advent. That's what advent means, by the way. As an expecting father, I know something of the feeling of joyful anticipation. But the joy that I feel in anticipating the birth of my second daughter is nothing compared to the joy felt by Mary, Elizabeth, and John in this moment. 
And it is nothing compared to the, no, to the knowledge of knowing Jesus, to the joy that that gives us. It's nothing compared to the joy that we should have at knowing the presence of Christ in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And as we think about his eventual return. So let me ask you, as we begin Advent, do you know the joy that Jesus gives? Do you experience that joy? That's a good question to be praying about over these next four weeks. Do we know the joy that only Jesus offers and only Jesus provides? That's one we might want to store in our hearts for a little while. Now, if it is true that those who claim to follow Jesus are meant to have the same sort of joy that Elizabeth, John, and Mary have, why don't we? If we're honest, many Christians don't ever seem to experience that joy that we're talking about here. And that truth is only heightened in the run-up to Christmas. While so many people talk about the joy and excitement of Christmas, many of us are just getting through the days. While others celebrate, some are only reminded of the tragedies they've experienced, the loved ones lost or the fractured relationships that have gone unrepaired for too long. And so we can wonder, what joy is there really in life? And we should be honest about that. There's a notion kind of an odd one floating around in some Christian circles that Christians are meant to keep a stiff upper lip, to never acknowledge sadness or pain in life. And it's just not helpful or true. In no way is that meant to be a part of the Christian life. But why don't we experience this joy? Why don't we experience anything like the joy of Mary? What's robbing us of this joy? Well, first... We have a pretty poor definition of joy. We tend to confuse joy with happiness. We act like they're synonymous, but they're not. Scripture talks about joy as being something deep. It has roots in us. Happiness comes and goes as circumstances change. But even as we face challenges or suffering, joy lasts. Now, this becomes a problem because we don't always experience happiness. And so if we think that joy and happiness are the same thing, then we can easily start to believe that well, God doesn't want me to have joy in my life because otherwise I'd be happy. I wouldn't be experiencing challenges or suffering. Clearly then God doesn't deliver on his promises. He's not acting how I want him to. So I better act myself. I'll control things in my life to ensure that I have maximum happiness. I'll do what God can't do. I'll produce the life I deserve. And that, of course, is the height of pride. Assuming that we can play God in our lives, but we sure love to try, don't we? You ever needed evidence of people's desire to control things and attempt to ensure joy and how it completely backfires look no further than almost any family Christmas event. Right? 
Everyone gathered together as they put the tree up, and then the question, oh, you put a star on the top? Why not an angel? Why don't you use the, the, the little blinky colored lights instead of the, just the boring white ones? Or is everyone sitting miserably at the dinner table while Grandma and Aunt Marge, I don't think we have a Marge in our congregation, so I went with Marge, Aunt Marge, argue in the kitchen, right, about the best way to make the turkey or the gravy, and everyone just wants to eat. Of course, those are silly examples. But the point is, we attempt to control any part of our life that we can in an attempt to ensure that we get the happiness that we want. Whatever little part that we can, whatever little kingdom we can set up, boy, we sure try. Because we think we know what we want. We think we know what we need, and we don't really trust God to provide for The result is the opposite of the joyful image that Mary presents with us. She had joy because God took the prideful, those who thought they could control everything, and brought them down. While he exalted the humble, those who knew they need God. What is it that robs us of the joy that Jesus offers us? Is it a sin like materialism or pride that keeps us from coming to? Are we harboring unforgiveness towards that family member who just always knows better than we do? Are we trusting in ourselves more than Jesus? Do we cling to the old wounds of the past, no matter how real or tragic? I've mentioned before, and I think most of you already know, that's my story. After my mom died, I, cling, I clung to the anger I felt. I didn't trust that God could deliver on his promises because of what I experienced. I didn't believe that God wanted joy for me. And over time, that anger became all that I had. And it's how I knew myself. And so I kept it so close. I would not let it go for anything. And all it did was rob me of the joy that Jesus wanted for me. That's what these things do. As we cling to self-reliance or really what it is, the idolatry of self, we just remove ourselves from the joy that Jesus wants to give us. Joy is found through the Holy Spirit being present in our lives and opening our eyes to Christ. We rob ourselves of joy by not trusting that God delivers on his promises because he's not acting how we would want him to. And so we pridefully act like we can do what God can't. And the end, of course, is the absence of joy. Now, if that's the case, why can we have joy? Where is joy found? Why can we have it? Well, Mary shows us that the God who gives us joy is the God who delivers on his promises. The very thing I didn't believe about God, that he's true to his word, is the very thing that Mary clings to. She grabs hold of it. In her song, she tells us, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. In response 
to God granting her the honor and privilege of being the mother of Jesus, she praises him for fulfilling his promise to help his people. That's what that part is all about. Jesus is the evidence that God will help his people. It is his will to help his people. He is the evidence that God keeps his promises. Let's be clear on this. Jesus was not God's backup plan. It's not something he stumbled into like, oh, well, nothing else is working. I guess I'll come up with Jesus now. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He had been promised from the start of everything. Even before God revealed himself to Abraham, way back in Genesis 12, from the beginning of all creation, Jesus was God's plan for the world. And so he promised Abraham, and David, and the prophets, and now Elizabeth, and John, and Mary, that he would visit his people and deliver them from sin and death. He would deliver on what he promised. There's joy in remembering that. There is joy in remembering that unlike all the things of this world that promise eternal joy and happiness that never come through, God always comes through. And Jesus is exhibit A of that. And what is this kept promise that Jesus is evidence of? It's that God delivers on his promise to bring about a great reversal. To bring about the reversal that each and every one of us need. If we look at Mary's words, she shows us how God changes the fortunes of those who love him. He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty. He sends the rich away empty. Those are the negative examples. On the other side of it, he exalts the humble. He fills the hungry. Mary herself is a great example of this. She is a wonderful example of faithfulness and God working through the unexpected. Mary, after all, was no princess, she was no queen. She was a lowly peasant girl from a backwater town in a pretty inconsequential part of the world. And yet, she is the one God chose to bear his son. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That is what God does. By all worldly standards, God should never have chosen Mary for such an important task. If we were to come up with the script here, if we were in Hollywood writing out the story and how it should go, we would have picked the most impressive, the most beautiful, the most intelligent, influential princess we could ever imagine. Because those are the things that the world values. And so, of course, that's what we would come up with. God judges by a different standard. God looks upon the heart of his people, and God saw Mary and saw a faithful, humble woman who knew that she needed a savior as much as anyone else. Shows God doesn't judge by the way we do. Shows that God doesn't value power and influence and riches and all the things that we would have come up with, but rather faithfulness and humility 
As one New Testament scholar points out, Jesus himself becomes the greatest example of this, of this great reversal of our expectations. He writes, at the end of the gospel came the greatest reversal of all. God the Son, who had once humbled himself to become a man and then endured the painful, shameful death of the cross, was raised from the dead in triumph. Having humbled himself, he was exalted. God judges by a different standard. God values the heart that says, not I glorify myself, but my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, this gets real for us because of what we said earlier. Many of us don't have joy. If we're honest, we don't have joy, especially at this time of year. And so we need a great reversal, don't we? We need this very thing that God offers us. We need the promise that things aren't as bleak as they often feel, that things can change. We need a reversal to break us from our terrible routine of looking to our possessions or our money or our influence or even our families to bring us the joy that lasts forever. And here's Mary reminding us that ours is a God who acts on behalf of his people, who has seen a people in distress and said, I can and will change that. That is what the coming of Jesus is all about. At his first coming, he entered into the lives of his people, experiencing joys and sorrows so that he might bring about the reversal that we need. That is why we can have joy. We can have joy because the incarnation of Jesus shows us that God himself took responsibility for changing the hearts of people and for changing the condition of the world. God himself entered into the world to rescue and redeem, to reverse the curse that we are under, that we have placed ourselves under, that result in sin and death. Our souls, too, can magnify the Lord because he is the God who has remembered his promise to our spiritual fathers, to Abraham, and to the whole church. And in his mercy, he has acted himself to bring salvation. And at his second coming, he shall bring to completion all that he began in his life, death, and resurrection. And because of that, we can have joy. How then can we receive that joy? Really briefly. If we are already believers in Jesus, then that joy is what he's given us. That's what he's offered us. And if we're not experiencing it, that's a great question to be praying about throughout this season. Why don't I have that joy? What's keeping me from it? Like we spoke about earlier. Perhaps, though, some are not yet believers in Jesus. Whether they've never heard the gospel or they've just been good churchgoers their whole life and never actually encountered Christ, whatever it might be. If that's you today, know that Jesus has offered you this joy as a free gift. May not change our earthly circumstances right away or even at all, but he does fulfill our greatest need for him. He rescues us from what keeps us from him. He takes those things that rob us of joy and he removes them from our lives. All we need to do is submit to him. To acknowledge that we have lived apart from him. 
that we have looked to other things in our pride, but that we need him. This Advent season, whether we've been Christians our whole lives or we're that skeptical seeker, wherever we might fall, are we willing to ask ourselves those tough questions? Do I really know the joy of Jesus? What's kept me from him? What keeps me from believing and submitting to him? Are we the proud and the lofty, the uplifted in ourselves? Or are we like Mary, who understood her need for a savior? whose spirit rejoiced that God would send a Savior, and so should ours. Mary refers to herself in her song as being blessed, and she is that because of her relationship to Jesus. Because she knew she needed a Savior, and so do we. Jesus offers us unspeakable joy, and it's all because he offers us himself. Life with him. We receive joy when we receive Christ. Phil Riken, a wonderful pastor scholar, wrote this. If we are too proud to admit that we need God the way a beggar needs bread, he will send us away empty. But if we have hearts that hunger after God, if we long for the forgiveness of our sins, if we thirst for the knowledge of God, if we crave eternal life in Christ, then God will satisfy us with his grace. That's what we can take away from this wonderful song of Mary. Words that chasten our pride, but more than anything, remind us that God is one who acts on his promises to deliver those in need and to give us the joy that only Jesus can provide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ, joy is found. We pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would receive that joy, that we would submit ourselves to Christ this Advent season and all the days of our life, that you would come into our lives by your Holy Spirit and give us a joy that is unspeakable, a joy that is indescribable, and a joy that lasts forever. And we pray all this in the name of your Son. Amen.